I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 11. We have two passages again this morning. Luke chapter 11, verse 42. And the second uh, passage is Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 32. Luke eleven forty-two. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And Acts 4, starting with verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Here's a question I hear frequently. Is, is tithing for today? Do the guidelines we see in the Old Testament apply to the church today? Now, there, there are more than a few who think that uh, the, the tithing was a part of the Old Covenant, was part of the law, it has no application for us today that we're, we're free in Christ. There's some truth to that. We are free in Christ. They say, we, we don't see tithing in the New Testament. We're under grace. The New Covenant, we're under the New Covenant. Don't put that burden on me. Don't get legalistic on me. So I want to talk to you about tithing today. Let's admit right up front that this can be a little bit awkward. I mean, if you don't tithe, I don't get paid. <laughs> so, but let's just be frank. It's difficult, it's difficult for some. Some folks are just fine with it. Uh, some of you, we have a good number of people here that tithe. You guys can go get a cup of coffee, bring some donuts back. But I want to I I talk frankly with you about this. So let's, let's get over the awkward part. I'm, I'm going to ask you, if, if you heard what the, the subject matter was this morning, and you got a little flutter in your heart, you got a little tightness in your stomach, I'm going to ask you to set that aside. I'm going to ask you to check your heart on that and just open your ears and your spirit and listen to what I have to present to you. Uh, there are handouts. If you didn't get a handout, raise your hand. There's a lot of information on this, and I'm going to ask you to be a Berean today. Take the information I give you. It's all there on the handout, and go home and check it over. Check the, the scriptures and see if what I'm telling you isn't, isn't true. But I'm going to go at this head on, not, not because... Not because I'm trying to get your money, this isn't what this is about, but because, because I love you, and I care for your souls, and my heart's desire is to see each of you walk in the fullness of God's blessing, and to enjoy the peace and the joy of an intimate relationship with Him. And if you're not tithing, if you're not tithing to your church, you're missing out on an incredible promise, and I'll detail that for you in a little bit. 
So to help us all understand how we can enjoy this blessing, we're going to answer five common questions this morning about tithing. Here they are. What is tithing? Where, where does this concept come from? Where do we get the idea of tithing? How was it practiced in the Old Testament? Where can I find it in the New Testament, if at all? And what should all this mean to us today? So let's start out with what tithing is. Here's a definition from Webster's. Tithing, to pay or give a tenth part of especially for the support of the church. Now, I would add this for a Christian, for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, who recognize him as Lord and Savior, that tithing is a gesture of thanks to God. We've been singing all morning about giving thanks, haven't we? Well, it's a gesture of thanks to God for everything we have, an acknowledgement that, that it all belongs to him, that everything we have comes from him. So let's keep this, this definition in mind as we go to question number two. Where does the concept of tithing come from? There's, and there's actually, you can see a hint of it all the way back in Genesis chapter 4. Now you can turn there and look or you can just follow along. We see Cain and Abel bringing offerings to the Lord. Now, you know, these are the, the first generation after Adam and Eve. Uh, in Genesis 4.3, we see, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Now, we're not going to get into why the Lord regarded one and not the other, other than to say that there was a heart condition that one of them had here. And the Hebrew word, though, for offering means tribute. It's a, again, it's a thank offering. We don't know where the brothers got the idea, perhaps from their parents. The text doesn't really tell us where they got this idea of making this offering to the Lord, but the offering seems to just kind of spring up from them naturally. They're thankful. Now, I'm not sure that we can technically call this a tithe, but it sure sets a pattern for giving to the Lord in thanks for that that we have. And a few verses later, we learn another lesson in having the right heart attitude about our giving. This incident between Cain and Abel goes bad. And it all happens because, as we find out, Cain's an angry man. You know, he's not giving in thanks. He's giving with some sort of expectation and when his offering is rejected, he gets angry, kills his brother. So Cain's an angry man. Yet in the incident with Cain, we see this principle of giving. And we also see that giving doesn't excuse ungodly behavior. We can't buy our way out of being guilty of sin. Cain eventually sees God's grace. But in this whole thing, we can see very early on in the history of, of mankind that an offering to God is an important and an appropriate thing to do. Then we see this in Genesis 14. Now, some of you are familiar with this. Abraham has rescued his nephew Lot, who has been captured and taken away by five kings somewhere south of the Dead Sea, down in Moab, around the Edom area. And Abraham wins this decisive victory over these, these kings, and sets out for home with his nephew and with the spoils of war. And on the way, he passes Salem. Now, where's Salem? 
Salem eventually becomes Jerusalem, but at Abraham's time it was called Salem. And out comes Melchizedek, the king, the king who is also a priest. He comes out to meet Abraham, and he blesses Abraham, and we see Abraham's reaction to the king and priest's blessings in verse 20a of Genesis 14. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now again, we see this appropriate gesture of thanks to the Lord for blessing. It's an offering, but this time we see that it's a tenth. So it's been quantified at this point. And Abraham gives it to the only king and priest we see in the Bible other than Jesus Christ himself. Melchizedek is a shadow of Christ. You can read about that in Hebrews chapter 7. Take a look at that later. Now I know there are some who say the tithe is the law and we're not under the law. That it was part of the old covenant and we're under the new covenant. And It's almost as if some folks are, are, are trying to tell us that it's no longer appropriate to give thanks to God. You've got to frame it that way, folks. Because we're under this new covenant. Anything that was under the old covenant is, is just legalism. But let me point out something to you about Cain and Melchizedek. Both of those men lived before the covenant and the law was given. It's true. If you take a look at it, Cain shows up in Genesis 4, no covenant, certainly no law. Melchizedek is in Genesis 14. The covenant that God enacts with Abraham occurs in Genesis 15. We don't see anything about the law until Exodus, long after Abraham passes away. Claiming the tithe is under the old covenant, claiming that a tithe was given to us under the law, is just a failure to read the Scriptures. When the tithe appears, there's no covenant. There's no law. We do, however, see some continuity in this concept of the tithe, that comes after the covenant is established, but before the law. We see Jacob pledging a tenth in Genesis 8, 22, uh, 28, 22. Right after we see, he sees the ladder to heaven, Jacob's tenth, he pledges a tenth to the Lord, and it, it's a gesture of thanks to the Lord once again for a blessing. So, so we, see, we see the concept of the tithe goes all the way back to creation. That is indeed, when the law comes down, it's formalized and, and quantified, and we, we see guidelines for it uh, when, when the law comes down through Moses. And at that point, at that point, the tithe becomes a commandment. Take a look at our third question about tithing. Now that we know it's a commandment, how was it practiced in the Old Testament? Well, the book of Leviticus brings some order to how the tithe is given and collected. And in an agrarian culture where everything either sprung up out of the ground or, or everything that came out of the ground was used to feed and, and multiply the livestock, Leviticus 27, 30 through 32 calls for a tenth of all crops and animals. Listen to what it says. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. 
If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. That means if he's going to convert it to cash. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. So everyone who read that back when it was written would have understood that God was calling for 10% of all of their income. 10% of everything that they made. So that's the first practice we see. The tithe is 10% of all income. Here's a second, and it's found in Numbers 18, verse 21. To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. The entire tithe went to the Levites for service to the Lord. So here's the third guideline for the tithe in the Old Testament. That comes right out of Deuteronomy 12, verses 5 and 6. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and the contribution that you present your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock. The tithe not only went to the Levites, it went to a particular place. Now notice this one, folks. This is kind of important. The, the tither does not determine where his tithe goes. He doesn't get to pick where it goes. His tithe would go simply to the Levites at God's designated place of worship. So the fourth guideline for practice was for the Levites. We've seen the three. Now we see a guideline for the Levites. What do they do with this tithe? So, and this one comes out of Numbers 18.26. Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, when you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you from them for your inheritance then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. Hmm. The Levites tithe. Everyone tithes, even the priests. Where do they tithe? To the same place that everyone else does at the place of worship. So there's the, the Old Testament practice of the tithe. It was 10% of everything, it all went to the Levites. It all went to a designated location where God was, the house of God. In that case, it was a tabernacle. And the Levites were not exempt from the tithe. So, now that we have all this tithe coming in, what are they supposed to do with it? How is the tithe used? It was used to do four things. Number one, it was used to support the Levites and the priests. Numbers 18.21, you can check that later. It was used to maintain the tabernacle and then the temple and the ministries that were carried out in the tabernacle and then the temple. It was used to help the poor. There's a reference for that there. Some was used for a communal meal. Okay, this is interesting. Held periodically at the designated place of worship. Let me just give you a heads up. This is not about having lunch together. I'll explain that in a little bit. And let me mention this as well. There was a difference between 
a tithe and an offering. They were different things. An offering was given as a free will offering. You see that in Exodus 36.3. It was given, an offering was given as each had the ability to give. I mean, you gave within your means, Deuteronomy 16.10. The offering were for a particular purpose in the ministry of God's people, Numbers 15.3. And these, these free will offerings that we're talking about were over and above the tithe. In other words, the offering didn't supplant, it didn't take the place of the tithe. Now, why was that? Why couldn't they just say, well, I want to I do something special this month or this year or this season. So I'm not going to tithe, I'm going to do this over here. Well, for one thing, the tithe was commanded. It was a commandment. And a free will offering did not negate the commandment. But the other thing was this, it was a very practical purpose. If folks were giving to a particular cause, to a particular ministry within the organization, and counting it as their tithe, then the Levites and the priests had no support. The, the place of worship, the tabernacle, the temple, had no means of maintenance. The tithes were for the priesthood and the place of worship and for all the ministries. So, so we see this idea that the tithe is commanded in the Old Testament. Everyone's subject to it. Used to finance the ministry of God's people. To support the ministers. But there are opportunities to give over and above the tithe. And as we've seen so many times in the Old Testament, we see it again here. There are blessings for obedience. But boy, you've got to catch this one here. The obedience to this commandment has a very special blessing. Listen, Malachi 3.10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, that's just the first half of the verse, but I want to look at it for a second. Where does the tithe go? It goes into the storehouse, into the designated place of worship. The tabernacle and the temple eventually had areas to store goods. They were, they were known as a storehouse. The Levites maintained the storehouses for the tabernacle and the temple. And the entire tithe was brought there to be distributed as the priests saw fit. Why? So that there would be food in the house of God. Now, we're not just talking about material food here, but we're talking about spiritual food as well. This is the food that we talked about earlier. The tithe was designed to finance the ministry, to feed God's people, and to feed the lost. And there was, there was a great blessing promised to those who tithe. God, God says through Malachi, bring it in, bring it into the storehouse, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Did you hear that? Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. It's an incredible blessing. The only time in the Bible in which God says, put me to the test. God knows this issue is a tough one. He knows that, that we're going to struggle with it. He says, put me to the test on this. Now, we've got to be careful with this. This is not some get-rich 
quick formula. The promise is that God will pour out His blessing until there is no more need. Amen? Did you see that? It doesn't say God will pour out His blessing to give us everything we desire. He'll give us everything that we need. And as great as this blessing is, the failure to obey brings hardship. Again, it's a biblical tenet. Matter of fact, the failure to tithe is compared to robbing God. Well, Malachi 3.8, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Now, earlier in Malachi, we hear that Israel has stopped tithing. They're not tithing anymore. They're withholding their tithes. In this verse, we see that that tithe, listen, belongs to God. It belongs to God. It's not a gift. It's not something we're giving back to Him. It belongs to Him. It is due Him. Wow. Well, all that describes tithing in the Old Testament. Okay. Well, where do we see tithing in the New Testament? That's our fourth question this morning. First, we, we, we really need to embrace the idea that the guidelines for tithing were described in the law, but tithing existed before the covenant and the law were in place. So those folks that say that we don't have to tithe because we're no longer under law, they're just missing the point. The point is that, and, and we just saw it in Malachi 8, the point is that everything comes from God. Everything belongs to God and will remain His. That wipes out all of our excuses for tithing, folks. There is no, I made the money, it's mine, I'll decide where it goes. God has given us the tithe as a reminder of His blessing upon us. It's a reminder. If we refuse to tithe, all we're really saying is that we don't really believe that everything we have comes from God. That we've somehow generated it ourselves and it belongs to us. So we express no thanks. We have no remembrance of His grace. And what all this tells us is that we can't expect God to bless our finances because they're under our control. No tithe, no blessing. Oh, that's harsh. Ooh. And you know what? We've, we've got good excuses. I've been through them. I've been through this process. I had fantastic excuses. My bills are too high. I had, I had to get the car fixed this week. God doesn't know how expensive it is to raise four kids. God doesn't know how expensive it is to live in Northern Virginia. God doesn't realize how much it costs me to go to college. The list goes on and on. God says, test me on this. He says, test me. It's one of the last things. You know, when you look at where Malachi is in the canon, it's one of the last things he says to his people before he sends the Messiah to them. It must be important. I'm going to tell you up front that the New Testament certainly does away with a lot of the rituals 
A lot of the ceremonies, a lot of the rites are done away with. They're done away by the new covenant, by the advent of Christ, the sacrifice he makes on the cross. A lot of the ceremonial laws and sacrifices, they're they're just gone. But nowhere, nowhere in the New, New Testament does it say that the tithe is ever canceled. It never says you can stop tithing. It's never suspended. As a matter of fact, Jesus, I mean, if you want to go to an authoritative passage, Jesus says that a tithing is a good thing. Something we should do. Take a look at Matthew 23. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles and take a look at this. Matthew 23. Jesus is railing on the Pharisees. He's pronouncing this series of woes upon them. And he's railing on them at this particular point about being legalistic for tithing, but neglecting the deeper spiritual truths that they're supposed to be attentive to. And he says this, These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now here's a Kavakis paraphrase of this verse. You should be tithing, but not neglecting justice and mercy and faithfulness. And I got to tell you something, Luke backs Matthew up. He, he says almost the same thing in Luke eleven forty two. Now I'm aware that there's some nonsense out there about Christ living under the law and the old covenant and, and the new covenant not beginning until the cross. That's just a convenient way of getting around Well, it's a convenient way of getting around everything Jesus taught. (laughs) But you can't escape, at least you can't escape the teaching on tithing by saying that (laughs) that was before the cross. Because because we see it in the epistles as well. (laughs) In Acts 4, 32 through 37, we see that the tithe is not limited to 10%. And the new church believers are selling all they have and laying the proceeds at the apostles' feet. Paul, Paul encourages giving even in hardship, even when there doesn't seem to be anything to give in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7. You can check that out later. And if you look at Hebrews again, again in Hebrews chapter 7, 7 through 9, we see that the descendants of Levi, now you've got to look at that passage carefully, the descendants of Levi are still charged with receiving tithes. If you go to that passage after lunch, you'll see that the word for receives in verse 9 in the Greek is present tense, active. So tithing is there in the New Testament. you just got to be willing to look at it. Now that brings us to the last question. What does tithing mean to us today? Again, I'm going to be very frank with you. It means at WBF, if you're a regular attender here, you should be bringing your tithe here. You should be tithing here. Now, practically speaking, we, we have no way of operating other than by what goes into that collection that comes by on Sunday morning. We don't charge dues. We, we don't have an admission fee. 
we've considered an exit fee, but we didn't think that would be very popular. But, I mean, we have a building to maintain. We have an office to run. We have four people who depend solely upon your godly attitude and giving on Sunday mornings. None of us are living lives of luxury. None of us are driving brand new cars. We, we live in houses like yours. We drive cars like yours. We shop in the same markets you do. There are repairs that need to be made to this, this grand old building. How many people walk in here and say, what a charming building. Oh, yes, charming, the plumbing and the electrics. And, and we're blessed by God to have a very small mortgage, but the building still needs a lot of upkeep. We've got equipment that's constantly in need of upgrade and replacement. And at some point, we, we need to be thinking about a new facility, a new place to meet. I know it doesn't look crowded, but we're, we're about at capacity. We can't consolidate the two services a number of people have asked us about it because there's not enough room for all of us to meet in one service. So we need to think about a facility. We need to think about the fact that it takes about $40,000 a month to run this place if we're going to properly staff it, if we're going to properly minister to everybody, if we're going to maintain our ministries. Your tithe, just like the tithe in the Old Testament, goes to the pastors and staff. It finances the ministries of the church. And it reaches out to the poor and lost. We give a minimum of 12%. Uh, 10% goes to missions. 2% goes to benevolence. That reaches out into the community, people in need. Uh, frequently, we do quite a bit more than that. You can see all those numbers in the budget. So if you're not tithing, you should carefully consider why you're not. Keep in mind that the blessings of Malachi apply but so do the hardships. Don't, brothers and sisters, don't find yourself in a position where you're robbing God. Test him and see if God's not faithful. If you are tithing, bring it into the storehouse. You should be tithing here. I've said this before, it bears repeating. If you're getting fed here, if you're growing spiritually, if you're being drawn into a deeper relationship with God, then your tithe should come here. You should come lay it at the feet of the elders and let them, let them do with it as, as they prayerfully see fit. And some folks like to direct their tithe. Let me get tech, technical with you for a moment. Some folks like to tell God how they want it spent. I, I'm, I'm not sure that that type of giving, loved ones, is actually... Uh, giving. It, it's certainly not a tithe. It, it is a for, sort of offering. But an offering should be over and above the tithe. Aside from making it harder to pay our bills when it gets directed somewhere else, uh, it's recently come to our attention that any offering that, that is directed is not deductible on your taxes. While a tithe used at the discretion of the leaders of the church is fully deductible. IRS rules, not ours. Let me, let me repeat that because it's important. A directed giving is not deductible on your taxes. We just don't want to have any confusion on this at the end of the year. A tithe used at the discretion of the leaders of the church is fully deductible. IRS rules. 
Now, if the elders are asking for uh, donations of building fund or any other type of donation that is described by, detailed by a line item on the budget, under IRS rules, those are deductible. But an offering sp specifically designated by the donor is not deductible according to IRS regulations. So we're asking you today to tithe to the general fund. Let us apportion the funds where they're needed. And, and then if you're going to give, give over and above your tithe to other ministries, either ministries funded by WBF or to other ministries that, that God's calling you to support. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Let me tell you this. Kelly and I, Scott and Leslie, Diane and John, and Brenda and John, this is what we do. All the elders do it this way, folks. We pay our tithe. Anything else is an offering. We would never ask you to do something that we're not doing ourselves. Personally, Kelly and I pay our tithe first. We long to honor God with our first fruits. That means we pay <laughs> before taxes. So I knew someone would come up and ask me that. And that this is my personal conviction that we pay God before we pay the government because we want to honor God above the government. Then after that, we support a number of ministries in the church and we support a few that are outside the church. Now, as an aside, this is why I like electronic giving. I know some of you don't. That's okay. It's, it's all right. You, you know, you, you, can, you can pay. You can give any way you want to give. It's fine. We take checks. We take cash. We take electronic. We take, we take the, the ones that come in the mail and are automatically deducted. Uh, that's between you and the Lord. But I get paid. I go right over to my computer, and I enter my tithe. So it's the very first thing that comes out of my paycheck. And I understand that there's a charge for electronic giving, and there's no way around it. So I throw an extra $10 into my tithe to cover the cost for the electronic giving. I want to meet that obligation first before I pay any other bills. I want to encourage you, if you're not doing this, to test God on this. Test God. You'll find out that he will open the windows of heaven and pour out the blessing until there is no longer a need. Uh, you need to think about this. I struggled with tithing because I had needs. And I wasn't making enough money to meet those needs. My justification was how can I possibly give any money to the church when I owe money to Visa. And we came across this teaching and we decided that we were going to do what God told us to do regardless of what we thought our needs were. And you can talk to any member on the staff. You can talk to any elder. You can flag down Fred Reed if you see him later on today. And ask for testimony on this because we were quickly delivered to the point to where our needs were met. We don't have a big savings account. I don't have a big retirement fund. That's why I can't retire. <laughs> but our needs are met. 
And God, I, I don't know how he did it. But God supernaturally stretched our resources so that what we found was the more we gave, the easier things got. We didn't get rich, but you know what? Those long, sleepless nights about what am I going to do about the bills went away. Those phone calls where you don't want to answer the phone because you're afraid of who might be on the other end, they went away. And we had peace. We had joy. <laughs> we had comfort in knowing that God was in charge of our finances just as much as he was in charge of our spiritual lives. And I want desperately, as your pastor, for you to have that blessing. So take this material home. Look it over. I want to encourage you to pray about it. This is just like baptism. It's a commandment. <laughs> you don't pray about obeying commandments. It's one commandment that has not been abrogated, hasn't been canceled, hasn't been suspended. It's how God moves in his church. His ministry on earth is financed. It's financed by us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your economy. And Lord, we confess that sometimes we struggle with these things. Oh Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Give us strength. Give us wisdom in how we use those things you give us, Father. Give us a vision for how our resources fit into the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.